Nat Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the spot to be this Friday night to catch the boxing match between Gervonta Davis and Ryan Garcia. Price will be $30 at the door for the fight night on Friday, starting at 9 p.m. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. deals. Swing and a miss, struck him out. 96 at the belt. And the Nationals, after runners, are second and third. Go down with three strikeouts in a row. What a job by Dean Kramer. We go to the fourth. Swing and a line drive to left. That is going to fall for a base hit in front of Garrett. Rounding third, coming home, is Mountcastle to throw offline. Heading for second is Hayes. He is tagged out by Garcia. Over to third goes Frazier. So Mountcastle scores. RBI hit for Hayes, he's out going to second, and it's 1-0 Baltimore. Three balls, two strikes again. Batista ready. So is Ruiz. Here's the pitch. Swing and a ground ball right side to the second baseman, Frazier. He has it in the throw to Alhern at first, and the game is over. And he went away from the fastball and threw him a splitter. And Ruiz rolled the ground ball to the right side, and the Orioles have won it, taking game one of this Beltway Series here tonight at Nationals Park. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, April 19th, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, this may not be the last time that I say something like this this season, but we on Tuesday night perhaps reached a new low for the Nats' bad offense this season, a one nothing loss to the Orioles in Game 1 of a two-game series at Nationals Park. Nats now are 5-12 and The Nats in this game, no runs, a mere five hits, all of which were singles, and no walks. Uh, The Nats in this game got worked by a starting pitcher in Dean Kramer, who had been horrendous this season. Kramer came into this game with an ERA of 949 over three starts in this regular season. And amazingly, the Nats in this regular season now have scored one run over the four games that Josiah Gray has started. Yes, one run. The Nats have been shut out in each of the last three games that Josiah Gray has started, even though he now has been at least solid, if not good, in each of those three starts of his bad first start. Look, Mark, we know the deal. The Nats hitting is not good, but what we had on display on Tuesday night was tough to watch. Yeah, I think this one was worse than any of the previous shutouts, and there are a few to uh, to compare to. I think this one was worse. And uh, did you see who was watching the game from the President's Club? Alex Ovechkin was there with his son, 
couldn't help but wonder if the Nats might have just been better off putting him up there to bat at some point with a runner in scoring position. It could not have ended any worse. Or at the very least, have him stand in the on-deck circle, have the batter flip a foul ball in his direction. He could one-time it from the on-deck circle. That's kind of his thing, right? Maybe that could have driven in a run. I mean, there was just nothing going on for them offensively. And, you know, this wasn't getting shut out by Shohei Otani. This wasn't even getting shut out by Kyle Freeland. This was, as you said, Dean Kramer in the Baltimore bullpen. And they only had one like legitimate scoring opportunity the entire night. And they made a mess of that one. And then they never really had another one the rest of the game, aside from, I guess, two outs in the bottom of the ninth with the runner in scoring position. But that was pretty feeble all around from these guys. And Josiah deserves better because he has certainly pitched well enough to merit at least some kind of support from his teammates. Well, let's get into it. The mess that my good friend Mark Zuckerman just referenced, and this was quite a mess. Uh, nothing on Tuesday night was worse for the Nats than what happened in the bottom of the third. The Nats had runners on second and third, no outs, and the team's numbers one, two, and three batters coming up. An inning tailor-made for a big, fat, crooked number to go up on that scoreboard, and yet the Nats ended up scoring no runs. Lane Thomas struck out looking on four pitches. He on Tuesday night, 0 for 4, three strikeouts. Dominic Smith struck out swinging on three pitches. Uh, he on Tuesday night, 1 for 4 with a single and two strikeouts. And Joey Manessis, he struck out swinging on seven pitches. He on Tuesday night, 0 for 4 with a strikeout. That bottom of the third on Tuesday night was brutal for the Nats. I know that you talked to Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference about what went down. I mean, Davey was pretty blunt, you know, in talking about, especially Dominic Smith and Joey Manessis, these guys have got to get going and they're not going right now. But we need him and, and Joey to start, you know, driving the balls for us and, I, and it'll come. You know, we, we just got to continue to work with them. You know, it's especially costly given that routinely in these Davey Martinez lineups, we are seeing Dom Smith and Joey Manessis batting high up in the lineups. Yeah, for better or worse, they've kind of built this lineup around those two and maybe Jamer Candelario. And if you're not getting any kind of production from them when you do have a chance to score a run, it's going to be really hard to keep them there. Although I don't know what the alternative is in terms of other batters that you would trust more in those spots. So they kind of desperately need at least one, if not both of those guys to start to figure this out soon. At least Manessis gave, you know, a seven pitch kind of a quality at bat, fouled some stuff off. Dom Smith was three pitches. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good night. Strike three was on a 97 mile an hour fastball up and out of the zone. His other strikeout was also on a pitch up and out of the zone. He really does look lost up there, uh, more so than I think any of the others. Manessis, we didn't see it in this game, but we've seen some better signs from him lately, like we've talked about. But I want to go even further back before any of those guys had a chance to do anything. And the way that the first two batters of the inning went, because I think that set the tone for it being such a disaster of an inning. C.J. Abrams leads off with a single. And then on the very first pitch to Victor Robles, he got as big of a jump as you'll ever see a runner get in trying to steal second. He could have coasted in with a stolen base, except for one problem. Victor Robles squared around a bunt, because that's what you do when you're the number nine hitter on this team and you're trailing one nothing in the third inning, right? And he failed to recognize that there was a free base being given that he didn't even need to get the bat on the ball to advance Abrams in the scoring position. And instead of pulling the bunt back, he fouls it off, and they wasted that. And so now Abrams has to go back to first. Now we're going to continue the at-bat. And then, as if that wasn't bad enough, Dean Kramer makes two pickoff attempts 
to first base in that same at bat. And as we know, the new rule says you can't pick over a third time unless you get him out. So that essentially amounts to a free jump at the very least, a big lead, an extra little confidence in knowing that you can take off the moment he starts to move to the plate. And Abrams like couldn't pull the trigger at first and he just stayed there. And so all of that, you have Robles fouling off bunts, can't get him down, finally hits a ground ball and thankfully was bailed out by Gunnar Henderson with a terrible throw that set up the second and third nobody out and the rest of the guys didn't convert. But if you've got a free stolen base and a man in scoring position with nobody out and they said, no, thank you, we don't want that. And then could not take advantage of that opportunity, the rest of that at bat, and just set a bad tone for the whole inning. That was such a lack of execution in a number of ways by several people. That was hard to watch. It's bad awareness for sure. These Victor Robles bunts, I mean, he is bunting a lot. Is that him or is that Davey telling him to bunt? I think it's Davey giving him the green light to do that if he wants to in those spots. I think he kind of leaves it up to Vic and... What that says to me is a couple of things. One, it's that Robles doesn't even have enough confidence in himself to make good contact, or he's just thinking, well, I'm the number nine hitter and we get a guy on base. It's just my job to bunt him over. Well, if that was the case, you might as well just let the pitcher hit. They got rid of the pitcher hitting specifically so that that would not happen anymore, that it would just be an automatic sacrifice bunt situation. There are times when it makes sense. Yes. But in the third inning of a scoreless game, go ahead, swing the bat. What's the worst that's going to happen? Or at the very least, give your really speedy guy on first base a chance to steal second. And now maybe, maybe with a guy on second and nobody out, I could say, okay, bunt him over to third and I'll try to get him in. But even then, there's some question about that. I don't like the decision making. And I think this is something that Robles has in his head now that because he's the number nine here, that's what he's supposed to do. I don't think that's what he's supposed to do all the time. Certain situations, yes, but not all the time. Well, then to me, that's on Davey, and he's got to take away that green light for Victor. I mean, you know, Robles, even with the recent downswing, you know, he still has a 373 on base here. Like, he still has done some positive things this season offensively to take the bat out of his hands. It feels like it's almost every plate appearance. He's going up there showing bunt, at least initially. It really is a bit much. But, you know, with this lineup, it's not a professional major league lineup. I mean, it really isn't. It's a lineup that if all goes well, can be okay. And we have seen some good games this season. And, you know, as we have said, there will be portions of this season during which the Nats hit all right, maybe even well. But like you see a game like Tuesday nights and it really does slap you across the face. Like this is in some ways, it's like a 4A lineup. I mean, it really is. Nobody for the most part is hitting here. Like if I said to you, who is going well? Maybe Jamer Candelario, you know, you can maybe make that case. But like I just said, Robles was going well initially. He's cooled off. You're getting nothing from Dom Smith. You're getting nothing from Joey Manessis. Luis Garcia has had his moments, but his overall numbers aren't good. Cape Ruiz initially this season was pretty good, but he really has not done much offensively lately. CJ Abrams has been a disappointment offensively so far. Nobody is doing much of anything. It's tough to watch. And this game. On Tuesday night, I mean, I have to tell you, coming into this game, I thought there was an opportunity for the Nats to really have a big game offensively. And I said to myself in the car earlier on Tuesday, I was like, I bet Joey Manessis has a huge series here. The Orioles starting pitching is awful. I mean, it really is awful. The Orioles team starting pitching ERA coming into this game was 675. The O's have hit really well. Their starting pitching has been bad. The irony, of course, is Tuesday night, the Nats shut down that offense. That did a really good job against the Orioles offense. But man, the Nats just didn't hit well, aren't hitting well. 
And this was a really frustrating one, you know, because like we just outlined, that third inning, that, that was amateur hour, what was on display in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think that made this one the most frustrating of, of them all. And and look, we understand this is just not a lineup that's going to score a lot and it's going to happen on occasion. But in some ways, you'd almost feel better about it if Josiah Gray had been lit up and they lost 5 nothing, 7 nothing, something like that. But he is now three times in a row done almost everything in his power to give them a chance to win, and they cannot do anything. And, you know, you want to take the glass half full approach here? Hey, they're losing one run games a lot. They're not getting blown out at all. But the glass half empty portion of that is they should have a much better record right now than five and 12. And I know we're saying, well, it's a rebuilding year. Does the record really matter? You know what? I think it does matter to win some winnable games. And they have not shown, other than the comeback the other day against Cleveland, they just have not shown an ability to do not even just a great job offensively, but just to deliver once or twice a game in a moment of consequence and reward your pitching staff and your defense for doing their job. And I don't sense it yet. You hope that doesn't have any kind of negative effect within the clubhouse. I've covered teams where you can have some division and where the pitching staff gets frustrated with the lineup and vice versa. I haven't seen that yet. We're still early on here in the process, but I would not hold it against Josiah Gray and, and others on the staff if deep down they feel like, man, come on, what do I need to do to come away with a win here? Because these guys are just not supporting him at all. Yeah. I mean, I would tell Josiah Gray, ignore the one loss record. I mean, Josiah Gray now is exhibit number you know, 4,203 of how meaningless pitcher one loss records are. He's 0-4. He's got an ERA under four. He's doing a good job over these last three starts. And, you know, truth be told, if you're taking a big picture approach to this Nats season, what mattered the most on Tuesday night was Josiah Gray. And like I said, against an Orioles lineup that has been really good, Josiah Gray overall did a good job. Now, yes, there were some nits to pick, but the bottom line was that the run prevention was there. One run in five innings, Josiah Gray gave up just four hits, two doubles and two singles, three strikeouts. Now, he did issue four walks. He did throw a lot of pitches and a lot of balls. Uh, five innings, 98 pitches, which consisted of just 58 strikes versus 40 balls. But like I said, the run prevention was there. And how about this? So his first start of the regular season, that disastrous outing, the 7-1 loss to the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park on April 1st, five runs, five innings, gave up three homers, including two to the first two batters he faced. Since then, one home run allowed. And you look at what he's done in these games. One run in six innings, six strikeouts, two runs in five and two-thirds innings, and now one run in five innings. I mean, you know, he's not a Cy Young candidate, but he's he's had a nice run here. That initial start was disturbing for a lot of reasons. He's been good since then. And the home run problem, I don't want to jinx anything, all right, but one home run over his last three starts, I mean, that is awesome considering his home run problem. Yeah, I went into this one thinking this could be the night that we start to see that again against that particular Orioles lineup. And there was one ball early. Santander drove one to right center to lead off the second inning that off the bat you thought might have cleared the fence. Maybe the cool air and the wind helped keep it in the park, held it to a double. That was the only one. There were no other close calls, nothing that was really struck all that well by the Orioles lineup. And so that's a big win for Josiah Gray and for the Nationals. And he was not sharp in this game. He was kind of spraying pitches all over the place, especially as the start progressed. His last couple innings, I thought the command was really off. But what he did do 
was figure out how to get out and how to minimize damage. And for that, I'll give him some credit. And I think he's coming to realize what his strengths are. We keep talking about like, who is he as a pitcher? The stat cast had this wrong. It said he only threw three cutters and like 47 sliders. He said it was actually a majority of them were cutters. They were just registering wrong. Whatever the case, he stayed away from the four-seam fastball and went to his other stuff, recognizing that that gave him the better chance of success. And we saw a path to how he can have success against what looks like a pretty good hitting lineup. So I liked that part of it. Yeah, he could have been crisper, but sometimes you have to show that when you don't have your best stuff and your command may not be 100% there, that you can still minimize the damage. And that's exactly what he did in this game. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Everyone loves a smart investment, especially right now, and there is no better place to put your money right now than in your home. If your home is 20 years old or older, Window Nation has the perfect offer for you. Get 0% financing for five years. This is unheard of, zero interest for five years. Plus, Window Nation will give you two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Protect and increase the value of your home today. Get this special deal. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. You can save up to 30% on your energy bills. You can increase the value of your home by up to $12,000 and you can pay zero interest for five years and get two free windows for every two windows that you buy. And this goes for any style of window from Window Nation. There is no limit. Save thousands of dollars on your new windows and then save thousands of dollars on your energy bills, all while upgrading the look and feel of your home. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Again, zero interest for five years plus two free windows for every two windows that you buy. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Hey, Nat Chat listeners, Tim Shovers here, producer of the podcast, to tell you about game time. Do you struggle sometimes to find tickets to your favorite events? Buying tickets to these shouldn't be stressful. That's why you should look into the game time app. It's even harder these days with the lack of paper tickets available on the street. If you're looking for tickets to Nats, DC United, or even the Drake concert this summer, Game Time offers the lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, and job loss protection. Game Time is the place for last-minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. It's the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account at GameTime.co and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Big lead for Frazier. He's off to the races. The pitch swung on a miss. Ruiz throw. The tag by Garcia. Double play. Strike him out. Throw him out. How about that? Down goes Hayes. Frazier caught stealing. Matt's bullpen was good in this game, too. Three Nats relievers combined for four scoreless innings with four strikeouts. Mason Thompson, another impressive outing. Two perfect innings. He faced five batters, got six outs. The guy now is generating more outs than batters face. That's how well things are going for Mason Thompson these days. Carl Edwards Jr., a scoreless top of the eighth. Erasmo Ramirez, a perfect top of the ninth with a couple of strikeouts. I tell you, Erasmo had a bad thing going. He's been better lately, so it's been nice to see that. And I do want to mention this. So Kevin Ruiz on Tuesday night, 0 for 4, but two impressive throws in this game. So top of the sixth, Kevin Ruiz threw out Adam Frazier on his attempt to steal a second base and a strike him out, throw him out, double play for the second and third outs. And then I think my favorite play of the game, and by favorite, I mean not so favorite. So one run, Orioles fourth. Kate Ruiz threw out Austin Hayes in his attempt to stretch his one-out RBI single to left field into a double. It was left fielder Stone Garrett who got credited with an outfield assist, as yes, Stone Garrett did start this game. He was an outstarting left fielder, did have a hit in the game. But Stone gets credit for an outfield assist even though his throw home was atrocious, okay? And I mean atrocious. The throw took Capert Ruiz up the first baseline, but then Capert astutely gunned down Hayes at second base for the out. Can we please change the official scoring? Why the heck does Stone Garrett get an outfield assist for that? He made a terrible throw that Capert Ruiz, by, to his credit, turned into a throw that led to an out of Austin Hayes at second base. Well, I guess think of it like this. If a, uh, a quarterback has the ball slip out of his hand and pops up in the air and one of his teammates happens to catch it and run with it, he gets the completion, right? Even though it was a terrible pass. So maybe think of it in those terms. Out of his hand, I was convinced that ball was going to either hit the backstop or the dugout or even sail over the dugout altogether. Thankfully, it, it didn't go that far high. It went way down the line and props to Ruiz for not even thinking there was going to be a chance for a play at the plate, going and getting the ball and making the correct throw to second base to kill that rally. That turned what could have been a really ugly play and that inning could have gotten a lot worse into actually something positive there. But if you closed your eyes, you would have thought that was Robles making that throw. That's how athletic but way off target it was. Game two for the Nats against the O's at Nationals Park Wednesday night at 7.05. Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats starting pitcher. And, you know, regardless of what happens with the Nats offense on Wednesday night, you get two good outings from Gray and Gore in this series against this Orioles lineup. That would be nice. So, you know, if nothing else, we can sort of lean on that as the hope for Wednesday evening that Mackenzie Gore bounces back from what was a disappointing outing in his last start. 
Well, you can uh, sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast. You can email the mastermind of the pod, Tim Shover's Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. We this season are accepting sponsors for individual episodes, uh, individual series, so you can get creative with your packaging for how you sponsor the show. We'd love to have you on board again. That email address is natschatpodcast at gmail.com. So we have a Juan Soto update. And, you know, we try not to bombard you with everything happening with all of these ex-nationals scattered all around Major League Baseball, okay? I mean, it's depressing enough, you know, seeing these guys doing uh, things for other teams as opposed to the Nats. But if you have been paying attention to Juan Soto with the San Diego Padres, you know that things aren't exactly going swimmingly for Juan Soto. There was an article that came out on Tuesday afternoon from Sports Illustrated senior writer Stephanie Epstein, and the piece essentially was about Juan Soto's struggles with the Padres, his adjustment to life with the Padres. Juan Soto, at the time of the publication of this article, over 70 regular season games with the Padres, last season and this season, batting average of just 218 on base percentage at 377. That's good, but that's not Juan Soto good at a slugging percentage of just 383. Now, the Padres last postseason did advance to the NLCS, but again, Soto's time with the Padres so far has not been great. The most notable portion of this story by Stephanie Epstein had to do with the fallout from what came out last July 16th. It was on that day we had the reports that Soto had turned down a 15-year, $440 million contract extension offer from the Nats, who thus uh, became open to trading him and, of course, ended up trading him. Read part of this piece by Amstein, quote, as he looks back at the period surrounding the trade deadline, his voice goes soft. Those weeks were among the hardest of his baseball career. He was able to lock in on baseball while at the plate, but standing in the outfield, he could not help but hear the jeers. Much worse was the response from people close to him. The news that he had rejected nearly half a billion dollars pitted all the fans, all the Dominicans, even my family against me, he says. He felt completely overwhelmed as he tried to navigate their skepticism. A lot of teammates were like, we respect your thinking, but that's a lot of money, he says. I'm like, guys, I'm trying to do what's best for me and what's best for my family. And you got to go out there and perform. And you try to perform for guys that doubt you. And that's one of the things I hated. Some of his relatives still do not understand, he says. They have agreed not to bring it up. I wanted to do it with the Nationals, but they just made it public, he says. I didn't like that at all. I hated it. I told them we weren't speaking anymore because they just threw everything out there. If the Padres can keep negotiations private, I can do it anytime. I have no problem with it. Nationals general manager Mike Rizzo did not return a request for comment, but he has previously denied the team leaked the terms of the offer, end quote. There's a lot to take in from just that passage, and there's a lot more to that piece. But uh, I'll give you the first crack here. What did you make of uh, what Soto had to say in that article? Well, I, I think it's interesting that he is willing to put that out there now. I could certainly sense a lot of that frustration from him, even though he didn't say it so explicitly. Look, I was one of, I think, three or four reporters that went up to talk to him and get his reaction only a few minutes, maybe a half an hour total after the initial Ken Rosenthal report came out last summer saying that the Nationals had offered him the contract. He turned it down and now they were going to consider trade offers. And you could see, I, I think I told you that day, like you could see how hurt he was by that, how upset he was by that. He had worked really hard to keep 
anything having to do with contract negotiations private and not discuss it publicly. And he was really bothered by the fact that it was now out there and now he had no choice but to address it and for everyone to know what was going on. It feels really bad uh, to see stuff going out like that because I'm a guy who keep everything on my side, keep everything quiet and try to keep it just the enemy, but they just take the decision and do whatever they need to do. I'm not gonna say I'm surprised at what ultimately we heard from him here. I'm, you know, maybe surprised that he did finally just kind of say that out and out what we sort of theorized or could read between the lines from him last summer. Would he be doing this if he was hitting 300 with a 450 on base percentage? Maybe not. And that I think is going to be the fascinating thing to watch here is as the spotlight grows even larger on him because of the situation he's in, because of the pressure on the Padres to win big now that they've gone all in with this team, is he going to let that affect his performance in any way and in a negative way? He's always been so good at giving you nothing but professional at-bats day in and day out and performing at the highest possible level. Is any of this going to get to him and is it going to show up on the field? That'll be very interesting to see. And it would be disappointing, I think, for a lot of Juan Soto fans out there if that did prove to be the case, because then who knows where this ends up going, what kind of offer he gets, whether it's from the Padres or from somebody else in free agency. It's kind of sad to see that this is what it's come to for a guy who not that long ago we're talking about as Ted Williams and worth every penny he could possibly get as an iconic generational player. There's a lot of time left. I mean, I'm not writing Juan Soto off at all, but the path that it's been heading down is not a very good one for him. You know, it's going to be debatable for years whether the Nats should have traded him last season. I still think there's a lot to that circumstance we don't know. I mean, I think it's easy to forget how adamant Mike Rizzo was that the Nats weren't trading Soto and wanted to re-sign Soto. And then this complete 180, which seemingly happened like overnight, we went from we're not trading him to, yeah, we think we're going to have to trade him. And then he was gone. I still feel like there's a lot more to that. Then we know. I mean, Mike Rizzo last June 1st on the Sports Junkies on 1067, the fan quote Are you trading Juan Soto? We are not trading Juan Soto. We made it clear to his agent and to the player. I, you know, I understand we, uh, these uh, journalists have to, uh, you know, they've got to fill a, a blank sheet of paper every day. It's a, <laughs> it's a good, uh, it's a good thing to, uh, to get some, uh, to get some attention on, on a story. But, uh, we have every intention of building this team around Juan Soto and, uh, and we've we've spoken to his agent many many times. Recently, sat with him when he was in Washington D.C. Made it clear to him that uh, we are not interested in trading him, and uh, guess the rest of the world just doesn't believe it. So uh, that but that's our position. And quote that was June first, twenty twenty two, August second, twenty twenty two. Soto was gone. What happened? What changed? Right. So there's still a lot that I don't think that we truly know. But you know, if you are in the camp of they did the right thing in trading him. And if you are in the camp of ain't nobody worth $400 million to say $500 million, you know, what's happening with Soto, at least right now, does kind of back that up. We've talked about this. Baseball isn't basketball. One player in the NBA can make all the difference. Baseball isn't like that. One guy can only impact a team and its record and its season so much. And so, you know, if you're paying a guy $400, $500 million, he needs to produce at an MVP level. And if he doesn't do that, you know, even if he does produce at the MVP level, there are no guarantees. If he doesn't do that, then it's like, well, what exactly are we paying for here? So, yeah, we'll see. 
it's a funny deal specific to what really angered him, the leaking of that turning down of the contract extension offer. I don't know how you read that situation in any way other than the team in some form leaked that intel, right? Like you always think about when something gets leaked, who benefits from the leak? Juan Soto didn't benefit from the leak. Unless you think that Scott Boris was orchestrating some like Machiavellian scheme, you know, by which he wanted to sour Soto on the Nats or something like that. Like it benefited the Nats to put it out there that Juan Soto had rejected a 15-year contract extension. Now, was it Mike Rizzo? Was it the learners? Was it somebody else in management? Did someone do it on behalf of the learners without Mike Rizzo knowing? Who knows? But it's hard to think. You know, Rizzo denies that he leaked it or that the Nats leaked it. I don't know, man. I don't know how you can think that someone from the Nats side didn't leak that info because it really only served to help the Nats and not Soto. And you could argue it didn't help the Nats much because if you understand the economics of baseball, that was not, you know, the great offer people made it out to be, but it obviously was a substantial offer. Right. I think as we talked about at the time, anytime there's a a story that gets out like that, you have to ask yourself, who would it benefit to put it out there? And we couldn't think of a reason why it would help Scott Boris or Juan Soto for that to be out there. So the you know flip side of that is, well, there could be benefit to the Nationals. And, and the more I've thought about it, I, I come down to this. I think they must have felt that the offer they made him, and we don't have to relitigate whether it was a good offer or not, but they believed that's the best they were ever going to offer him. And they weren't going to try to go back and do anything more than that. And so once it was clear in their mind that he wasn't going to take it, well, we know the state of the organization. And even if he was willing to come back at that price, we know that the only way they were going to have success as a franchise was going to be to draft and develop better and have a good farm system again, which they clearly were not in a position to do a year ago. So, okay, here's our one shot to remake a farm system by trading away one player. How do you do that? You let it be known to the rest of the baseball world that we're listening to offers. And it doesn't mean that he intended to trade Soto all along, but he intended to at least find out who would be willing to offer up what. And there was a frenzy for two weeks where that was the talk of the baseball world. And ultimately, at the deadline, the San Diego Padres made him an offer that he couldn't refuse. So yeah, I think whether it's Rizzo or not, ultimately, somebody with the Nationals felt like it was in their best interest for the rest of the baseball world to at least know that a trade was possible and let's see what you can give us for it. Now, you know, again, who knows how this all would have played out otherwise. And there's certainly a case to be made that had he taken that deal, had he taken the offer they presented to him, would the Nationals be in a better position right now? I don't know. Because again, they would still need a whole lot of other players to compliment him over the years. And they would not have Mackenzie Gore, C.J. Abrams, Robert Hassel, James Wood, or Harleen Susana. They would have to make do with whatever else they had and figure out another way to build a roster at a time that you have an ownership group that's not spending money on free agents. So they weren't going to go that route either. Yeah. I think what's angering is that they were in that position with the farm system to begin with. Like if they had done a better job of drafting and player development, maybe they could have had the cake and eaten it too. Maybe they could have kept Soto and had the young players on the rise and not had to do something like trade away a potential face of the franchise. So yeah, I have a feeling we'll have this conversation in some form again, but it is instructive. Soto is not killing it for San Diego, for all of the angst that you constantly get from, you know, Nationals fans and Nationals followers of, oh, this guy isn't here. Oh, that guy isn't here. 
Soto, Anthony Rendon. I mean, it's not like everyone is killing it. Max Scherzer is dealing with injury with the New York Mets. It's not like everything has gone smoothly for all these guys since they've left the Nets. Yeah, you're correct. I want to bring up one other comparison, though, because I feel like that first year or two, we had some similar thoughts about Bryce Harper when he left and the circumstances of that. And was he really worth it or not? And things didn't go so well in Philly and the team wasn't winning. Well, give these things some time. The truly great players eventually, as long as they're not hurt, they usually live up to what they're supposed to be. And you saw last October, Bryce Harper live up to everything he was always supposed to be and help lead the Phillies to the World Series. Now, will it be worth it in the end? He's still coming back now from Tommy John surgery. I mean, we'll see. There's a long way to go. But I would just say the same thing with Soto. At the moment, things are not going so well for him, and it may look like he miscalculated in some of this. But there's a long way to go. He's still really young. He's still really, really talented, and he's really driven, unlike most players I've ever covered in this sport. So I would never write off Juan Soto or believe that, number one, he won't ultimately figure it out, and number two, he won't still get a contract that is substantially better than what the Nationals offered him. Yeah, age 24 season for Juan Soto. So uh, the rest is still unwritten with that guy, no doubt. Hit us up on Twitter. Tell us what you think at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram as well, at NatsChatPodcast. And don't forget our new website, NatsChatPodcast.com. You can listen to previous episodes. You can order a great Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt as well. Uh, all Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. Thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit TimNewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. 20-year-old Juan Soto in a spot to be a game-changer here. He'll turn 21 on the 25th of October, completing his second year in the big leagues. Bases loaded. One ball, one strike. Hater the set, the kick. Here it comes. Swing and a line drive. Base hit right field. Taylor scores from third. Stevenson around third. The ball missed in right field. Rounding third. Coming home is Rendon. He will score. But now caught in a rundown is Soto. He will be tagged out by Moustakis. But that's the third out. Three runs. Score on the play. A base hit to drive in two runs. An error on the right fielder Grisham allows the go-ahead run to score. And the Nationals are in front. It's Washington 4, Milwaukee 3. And they are three outs away from going to Los Angeles as Daniel Hudson's coming in to cry and try and close it out. This play is going bonkers. Grisham over